Well, all right. Good morning. How are we today? Good, good. Good old 1030 service. Everybody's here. Um, hey, one quick thing I wanted to mention, and, uh, and I'll tell you about something else. We'll get into the teaching for the morning. Um, it was really hot last week in here, if you were here at church. Um, it, it might get hot again today, and the reason is very simple. We got a lot of people in the room, and one of our air conditioning units is broken, which is awesome if you're like me, like you sweat swimming, you know? Um, awesome. So uh, I just want to let you know we're in the process of getting that replaced. It will be replaced in the next week or two, definitely before Easter when we pack, you know, tons of people in here. So be patient with us, and I appreciate the grace in that area. Uh, one other thing, next weekend we have a really big event, one of the big events that we do here at Western throughout the year coming up called the Egg Drop. And Egg Drop's new to me, never been a part of it, so if it's new to you, here's how it was described to me. Um, we rent a park, we get a helicopter, and we drop eggs filled with candy from the sky. That's the event, right? And we do it for one simple reason. We just do it to be a blessing to our community. We want to invite families out just to come, have a great time with their kids. Uh, opportunity for us as the church just to love on them in the name of Jesus. And, um, and so next weekend, that's happening. It's on Saturday morning for a couple of hours. And I've told you this over the past several weeks. For us to be able to pull this off and to really bless this community where God's put us, we need a couple of things. One, we need volunteers. Uh, we need you guys to come out to Dellinger Park next Saturday and help and be there and love on people and, and uh, just be hands and feet, okay? And so you can volunteer really easily. Go to eggdrop.com. You can go there this afternoon, get online, sign up to register, or you can stop by the Help Center on the way out today and you can let them know you're interested in being a part. So I want to invite you to do that. Help our church bless people, all right? That's why we're here. We don't just want to meet in a box once a week. We want to get outside the walls and do things for people, all right? So come be a part. Also, we need candy. Um, we need thousands of bags of candy. And uh, right now, we don't have thousands of bags of candy. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> we're low. We need a lot of candy, okay? So I want to invite you again, challenge you, encourage you if you can. Go to Walmart today, tomorrow. Spend 10, 15 bucks. Buy a few bags of candy. And then you can bring them by the church anytime this week, Monday through Thursday. Uh, our offices are open 9 to 5. So help us out. Church, can we do this? Yes. We're counting on you, okay? We need you. We need you, all right? Um, well, let's do this. Let's get our Bibles. Let's go John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Uh, back in 2004, my family walked through a time that has forever left us changed. It was my last semester in college. I had just gotten engaged to be married. Uh, I moved back home to save money up for the wedding. And my wife and I, not long after we got married, we're going to move to South Florida and Miami. So we're saving money for that. And uh, I'll never forget a Wednesday morning. It was October the 20th. My mom comes into my room like 7.30 in the morning, and uh, she's just visibly shaken, very upset. She's crying, and uh, I'm not a morning person, so I'm having to like beat myself awake, right, try and get some sense about me so I can understand what's going on. And, and my mom proceeds to tell me that my little brother, who's four years younger than me, first year of college, never came home the night before. Now, for some of you guys who partied up in college, you, get, you, know, you say, James, what's the big deal? I did that like all the time in college. Um, my brother, totally uncharacteristic of him, right? He was a good kid, loves Jesus. Um, he was a kid who always played it safe, unlike me, had to learn things a hard way. And so for him not to come home without telling us where he was going to be, 
totally just off the radar for him, okay? So I crawl out of the bed, and, and my first thought was maybe he just went to a friend's house after school, and, and he fell asleep, just hanging out, no big deal. So I get on the phone, I start calling friends of his. And one after one, friends are going, man, I haven't seen him. Um, I saw him yesterday, you know, about 3 o'clock. I haven't seen him since 6 o'clock. I saw him leave the school, but haven't seen him since then. Um, finally got his girlfriend on the phone, who is now his wife, and when she told me that she hadn't talked to him all night long, I, I figured something was wrong. And so uh, two options at that point for me, I can call the jail, um, I can call hospitals. And I decided to go with hospitals first because if he was in jail, my mom was going to go from being very sad to like the Incredible Hulk. It was going to get really ugly. So I was like, please God, maybe he's in the hospital. He didn't do anything terrible. So I start calling hospitals. And uh, I get on the phone with this one hospital who directs me to a 911 supervisor. Um, this lady, the 911 supervisor, directs me to Clark Ambulance in Paulding County. So I call Clark Ambulance in Paulding County. I'll never forget the guy's name I talked to, but I asked him a question. I said, uh, have you last night, did you guys transport anyone from the scene of an accident who had injuries? My brother, he never came home. And this paramedic asked me what my brother's name was. And so I told him, John Griffin. And uh, he said, what was he driving? I said, a blue Jeep Cherokee. And he came back and said, yeah, he's in ICU at Grady Hospital. Here I am sitting on the couch next to my mom, and I feel like somebody's just punched me in the throat. I mean, it was dreamlike. And I, I remember setting the phone down and looking at my mom very calmly and saying, we need to get dressed. John is in Grady Hospital. So we hopped in the car, called my dad on the way. He works downtown by the hospital, shot over. And I just remember getting there, having no idea what to expect. But I figured it was going to be really bad if they flew him in a helicopter to the number one trauma hospital in the state of Georgia. So I'm walking down the ICU hallway, having no idea what we're about to encounter when I walk into the room. But I just remember walking in and seeing this person on this hospital bed that if someone wouldn't have told me that was my brother, I would have had no idea who he was. Unrecognizable. In the accident, he had literally crushed his face. The, the bones from the top sinus cavity in his forehead to his chin all the way across were literally shattered. I've never seen a person look like that. I have never seen that kind of swelling in my life. And I just remember walking in, seeing him there, turning around, walking out of the hospital room into the hallway, hitting the floor. And my prayer was this, just an honest moment for me. My prayer was, God, you better not let him die. That was my prayer. I look back on that time now, and I'm going, who in the world was I to tell God what to do? But in that moment, I just, for me, it was one of those personal moments where I just felt like God was very far away. I was a student pastor at this time, and uh, just a couple of weeks before this happened to my brother, I started a series on suffering. I had just told my students at my church that I was serving that they should consider it all joy when they face trials of many kinds because the testing of their faith will, will develop perseverance. And here I am sitting in the hallway of Grady Hospital trying to figure out if I believe what I told them they should believe. I mean, I found myself just sitting there going, God, why in the world would you let something like this happen? And I remember too thinking this thought, God, what did we do to deserve this? 
Like my family, we're good people. We do good stuff. We go to church. We try to be good to people. We do good things. And I'm a youth pastor, and I'm moving to Miami to help plant a church. And God, why in the world is this happening to us? Like this is supposed to happen to other people, not us. I had a hard time. And some of you guys are here this morning, and you get exactly what I'm talking about because you've walked through life experiences that have left you with these same thoughts and these same questions. You've gone through hardship. You've gone through suffering. You've gone, gone through rough patches. And it's left you in this place where you've come to God and you've said, God, if you're real, if you love me, how could you? Where are you? Are you listening to me? Do you love me? Do you care about me? Have you left? Some of us are here this morning. We've come to church with those questions. And we're really hoping that this guy that you don't know can answer some of those questions for you. That's why you're here. And, and I want to tell you what my hope and prayer for all of us is today, okay? My hope and prayer for us as we talk about some of Jesus' last words spoken from the cross is that we leave here knowing and believing that God cares about us and loves us more deeply than we'll ever comprehend and that the proof of that is not found in what we might walk through in life, but instead the proof of his love for us is found here. I pray that we leave knowing today that when we go through tough times in life, it doesn't mean that God has left. It doesn't. If anything, this book teaches that in those times we serve and we worship a God who wants to be a refuge, a strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And he wants to give us everything we need to carry us through those times. Um, my brother, praise God, God did a miracle in his life. He, he went from having a 10% chance of survival to being very alive today and serving God with his life and ministry. He did a miracle. Doctors can't explain that. My, my prayer for us today is this. In some of your lives, I pray God would do a miracle today. Some of you guys need it. Some of you guys need faith awakened. I'm not just talking about physical stuff. I'm talking about spiritual stuff. You need God to convince you today of his love for you, his grace for you, and you need to come alive today in that before you leave. And I'm praying that for you. In John chapter 19, we start to see how these truths, what I just described, are true through some of Jesus' last words. And uh, I just want us to read this together. So John 19, starting in verse 28. Here's what the Bible says. It says, After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said, in parentheses, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. The Bible goes on and says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Now, before Jesus spoke these words, I thirst from the cross, he's already experienced everything I explained to you over the last several weeks here during this series, okay? Um, he's been arrested. He spent the night in a dungeon he stood trial before religious leaders, before Roman officials. Uh, he's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been insulted. He's been scourged. He has uh, been forced to carry his cross, 125-pound cross, to the place where he was going to be crucified. When he got there, you know, crown of thorns on his head, nails through his hands and his feet. He's experienced all of this. As Jesus hung on the cross, he shows us how selfless, how humble he is. Because right after they crucify him, remember what he did? He prayed for those people that were responsible for his murder. Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. From the cross, there was a thief and a murderer on one side of his cross, and Jesus extends grace and forgiveness and salvation to him. All of Jesus' disciples had completely left him at his death. One guy came back. 
as he's dying here, and his name was John. And what does Jesus do when John comes back? He accepts him. He shows him grace, and he gives John a job. He gives him a responsibility. John, take care of my mom after I'm gone. And then, as we talked about last week, Jesus, at, at the most critical point of the cross, he became our sin. He went to the cross to die in our place for our sin, was punished by God for our sin so that we could be loved, forgiven, accepted by God. God literally left Jesus at the cross to die alone, abandoned him so he'd never have to abandon us. Jesus at the cross experienced what an eternity of hell would be like in just three short hours of hanging there. I mean, this is insane stuff. And so, uh, again, we think about all that happened here, and we read that phrase, I thirst. Some of us are going, well, let's close our Bibles and go home. We get that. He's thirsty. I mean, anybody, after going through all that stuff, would be thirsty. I mean, how in the world is there anything we're going to get out of that other than Jesus is thirsty? And here's what I want to encourage us with. There is so much life and hope and truth packed into those two small words and I want us to get that today and leave going past just surface level and really grasping and understanding these deeper meanings. So if you have something to take notes on, write this first phrase down. These words, I thirst, that Jesus spoke from the cross remind us and reveal to us, first, that this book I hold in my hand, the Bible, it is about Jesus. You know that, right? From cover to cover, this book is about Jesus. L let me clear the air for us. You know this book isn't about you and me, right? Like this book is for us. There's a lot of truths in here for us. There's a lot of principles in here for us. But this book's not about us. This book's about one person, and his name is Jesus. Cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, this book is about Jesus. And these words that Jesus spoke from the cross, I thirst, John correctly points out that he spoke those to fulfill the scriptures, to remind us that this book's about him. If you go back and you study the Old Testament, here's what you find. Time and time and time and time again, God is coming to sinful people and saying, listen, I'm going to fix everything between us. You're sinful. You keep blowing it. You keep messing up. I'm going to do something about it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send someone into the world, a Messiah, a Savior, a Rescuer. He's going to pay for your sins. He's going to clean the slate so that we can have a relationship again. And here's what God does over 350 times. He speaks through men, prophets, and, and they have these prophecies about the Savior. When he comes into the world, what he's going to look like where he's going to be born, when he's going to come into the world, how he's going to come into the world, how he's going to die, how he's going to live, things he's going to do while he's alive. So all these men are speaking these things over 350 times. Now, I love this. Jesus shows up on the scene, starting his ministry. Matthew chapter 5 preaches the famous Sermon on the Mount, and he stands up before everybody listening. And uh, here's basically what he says. You know all the things in the Old Testament that were written about the Savior? I'm, I'm going to do all those things, is what Jesus says. I'm the guy God promised to send in the Old Testament. All the prophets, everything they said would be true about the Savior, the Messiah. Um, I'm about to pull all of those things off. And guess what Jesus did while he was here on the earth? He pulled every single one of them off. And he pulled them off to the time, the day, and the place they were supposed to be Fulfilled. Now, when John points out that Jesus spoke these words, I thirst to fulfill scripture, what he's simply reminding us 
is that there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that needed to be fulfilled by Jesus when it came to him being thirsty. And if you go study the book of Psalm, which is a messianic prophecy speaking to the death of Jesus, you'll find there that, G- that, that the Old Testament prophet said at his death he would be given sour wine to drink. Sour wine. So not water, not Gatorade, not coffee, not a Diet Coke. He'd be given sour wine. Not new wine, sour wine. And so here's the picture at the cross. Jesus is here. you got Roman soldiers around. And the Roman soldiers would carry uh, cheap wine around, sour wine, and that's what they would drink. And so Jesus is here at the cross, and he speaks these words, I thirst, so that one of these soldiers will take that cheap wine, you know, the kind of wine that come in boxes today um, for you wine drinkers out there, takes some of that wine, puts it on a sponge, puts it on the end of a stick, and goes and shoves it into the mouth of Jesus. I mean, think about how insane this is. Jesus is dying. He's tired. I mean, he, he, we can't get this. In spite of all that he's going through, you know what he does? He remembers, oh yeah, there's this prophecy about me in Psalm 69 that I haven't fulfilled yet. And I want to make sure people know this book's about me. And so Jesus says, I thirst, so that that prophecy, they gave me sour wine to drink, would be fulfilled, and none of us would ever have to wonder who this book's about. Listen to me, church, I want you to know, this is part of the reason I believe this book is true. Is because that kind of stuff, I mean, 350 plus, if I put the number on the screen about what the chances are of that happening just by coincidence, you'd be blown away. It doesn't just happen. Jesus is who he said he is. He's the son of God coming to the world to take our sins away, to give us eternal life. And this book is about him. And John reminds us of that when he points out these words that Jesus spoke. The next thing that I want you to write down is this. Only God can satisfy our thirst. Only God can satisfy our thirst. Um, Jesus said, I thirst from the cross, not only to communicate that he was physically thirsty, but he also said these words from the cross to communicate to those around him that spiritually he was thirsty. And I'll explain what I mean. There's an Old Testament verse in the book of Proverbs 17:22 that says a broken spirit dries up the bones. I mean it's this picture of somebody being so spiritually broken and overwhelmed that spiritually they are dry and parched to the deepest parts of who they are. Now, I think that we could all agree, especially if we were here last week and we we heard this message, um, Jesus has been crushed spiritually. Been crushed. Again, God left him there. He experienced what hell was like at the cross. His relationship, fellowship with God was broken because of our sin for the first time in eternity. He is spiritually dry. And when he says, I thirst, he's communicating that there's this desire, this longing in him to have that fellowship and relationship with God the Father restored again. I thirst. Now, here's what I want us to understand today. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. Um... Again, we believe this book is true, and here's what this book teaches about all of us. That that thirst, that spiritual thirst that Jesus spoke about and exemplified on the cross, that spiritual thirst is in every single one of us as human beings. It is. It just is. Um, The Bible in Psalm 42, 1 and 2 speaks about it. It gives us a picture of what this looks like. And here's what the psalmist says. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
this thirst that he's speaking about, this desire, this longing to have a relationship with God, fellowship with God. Again, the Bible says it's built into us as human beings. When God created us, he put it in us. None of us got away without that being in us. Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. John 17, 3 says that eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus. So so listen to me, church. Whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to be aware of it or not, it's true that in our hearts, every single one of us has a deep desire, a thirst to know God and to have the hope and peace of God of eternal life. It's just in us. It's there. Here's the unfortunate thing that happens for so many people. Is that they go their entire lives and they miss this. They miss it. Like they know that they have these longings inside of them, these desires that that they want fulfilled, right? These longings for things like affection and hope and and love and to belong and that they want assurance and contentment and they want all these things. But what they fail to recognize is that that's the heart's way and the soul's way of longing and reaching out for God. That's that thirst. And so people, what they'll do is they'll run out to the world and they'll try to satisfy those thirsts and those desires with other things that were never meant to fulfill and satisfy them. They'll pursue things like pleasure and power and money and status and, and reputation and all these things, believing that if I can just get those things, I'll be satisfied, I'll be filled, I won't be thirsty anymore. Church, listen to me. Those things were never meant to satisfy you. They weren't. What's going on inside of your heart and your soul, those are eternal things. And temporary things, worldly things, cannot satisfy eternal longings. Only God can satisfy your thirst. He's the only one that can satisfy the longings of your heart and your soul. Listen, some of you are here this morning, and you're chasing this stuff. And you're running out to the world and trying to grab at anything and everything you can to just... Put it inside of you, hoping that you're going to get some relief and some satisfaction. Here's my prayer for you. Stop chasing those things. They are hopeless and endless pursuits. And I don't want any of us to waste our lives chasing after things that were never meant to satisfy us. If you're here and you're chasing things, here's what I'm saying. Come back to Jesus. Come to, let him satisfy. Only God can satisfy. If you are here and you don't know Jesus... Come to Jesus today. Only he can satisfy you. And I pray you leave here with hope and trust and faith in Jesus and him alone, knowing that God is the only one that can satisfy your spiritual thirst. He's it. He's it. Um, Next thing. Write this down. Bad things happen to good people. I want you to write that down. Bad things happen to good people. Um, Over my time in ministry, this has probably been one of the top And most common questions I will get asked by people, Pastor, why in the world does God allow bad things to happen to good people? If he loves us and if he's good, then why do good people have to go through terrible stuff? Um, I think this is a great question. I really do, and one that we need to talk about regularly in church. And I think that the answer to the question is very simple. Are you ready? Here's the answer. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Church, we live in a world that is full of sin and full of the consequences of sin. And because we live in a world like that, bad things 
are going to happen, and at times they're going to happen to seemingly good people. And, and I'll explain what I mean, okay? If you go back to the very beginning of this book and you read in Genesis, when God created the world in the beginning, um, everything was perfect. Remember that? No sin, right? I mean, people are there, Adam and Eve are there, the animals are there, everything in creation is working exactly how it's supposed to. Sin is nowhere in the picture. And because sin is nowhere in the picture, the consequences of sin are nowhere in the picture. So here's how this looks. There's no such thing as death. There's no such thing as disease. There's no such things as injustice. So I'll make it even easier. Nobody's dying from cancer. Nobody's getting AIDS. Um, nobody is suffering from pollen attacks. Praise God. Aren't you looking forward to that again? Um, nobody's killing each other. Nobody's getting bad news, right? Nobody's picking up the phone and hearing somebody on the other end communicate something terrible to them. There's no suffering. People aren't starving to death. There's no injustice. Everything was exactly how God intended it to be. And then comes Genesis chapter 3 and what enters the world? Sin. And when sin enters the world, what enters the world with it? All of its consequences. Everything I just described to you, suffering, death, disease, injustice, poverty, all of these things come into the world as a result of sin. So let's make sure we're on the same page, okay? I, I want to ask you a question. You can answer out loud. Who chose for sin to be in the world? We did. And I want you to get this morning. God didn't choose that for us, right? God didn't wake up one morning and go, I'm going to see if I can ruin their lives today. Let's send a little sin into the world, right? God didn't do that. In Genesis chapter 3, what we find is man looking at God and looking at sin and choosing sin over God. They look at created things and they look at creator God and they decide we're going to worship and serve created things over the creator. They choose sin over him. And ever since that time, things have gone really, really, really badly in the world, even for really good people. This reminds us that this is true. Um, church, who is better than Jesus? Who is better than Jesus? Nobody. I mean, we're talking about God wrapped in the flesh. He came into the world and he was perfect. He was sinless. He was a good person. He was the best person. He was a perfect person. And guess what happened to him? Something really bad. Something really horrific happened to Jesus, the best person that's ever lived on the face of the planet, and why did it happen to him? It was because of sin. That's what the cross is about. Jesus went here to pay for your sins and mine. Sin causes suffering. Sin causes bad things to happen in the world and even to good people. Here's my encouragement for us as a church. I want to encourage us all when we go through rough times in life, when we suffer, when we hit tragedy. I want to encourage us not to be that church that lets those times drive us to places where we doubt God and we get angry with God. I want those times to drive us to that place where we truly remember that our God loves us, that our God is for us. I want us to be that to be a time where we choose to hate sin all the more because we understand what it's responsible for and what it's caused to happen to our world and even to us and those around us. See, suffering, man, let's, let's hate sin because of it. Not get angry with God. That's my encouragement to you today. Um, write down this last phrase, and this is where we'll close. I want you to write down that Jesus identifies with our suffering. 
This is a hopeful and a comforting point. Um, That's where I want to end. Jesus identifies with our suffering. This is something that I missed for a long time as a church kid. Is that when I suffer, Jesus gets it. He gets it. He gets it. Going back to the story I shared at the beginning about my brother, I think the reason I responded the way I did, again, is because in that moment, I felt like God is very far away. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. And if I go to him, it's just going to kind of be God going, well, James, that really stinks, buddy. You know, I hate that for you. God was going to kind of give me one of those fake pat on the backs, I'll pray for you kind of deals. And I didn't want that. And so I felt like I was just on the outside of who he was. He doesn't get me. He doesn't understand this. But when we read this book, we get a very different picture of who God is. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, listen to what this says about our God. The Bible says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, these verses remind us of the same thing that the cross reminds us of, the words of Jesus spoken from the cross remind us of, and and here's the truth. We serve and worship a God who understands what it's like to suffer. He gets it. Listen, when Jesus came here into the world... He wrapped himself in flesh, not just to die on a cross at the end of his life, but so that he could walk through life and experience the same things you and I experience. I mean, think about with me what Jesus went through 33 years on the face of the planet. Jesus understands and he can identify with those of us who knows what it's like to have people betray us. Jesus knows what it's like to have his closest friends abandon him in his greatest time of need. Jesus knows what it's like for people to think he's crazy, for people to lie about him, falsely accuse him, talk bad about him behind his back. He he understands what it's like to have loved ones die unexpectedly. You remember when his friend Lazarus died? Jesus goes to his tomb, his grave, and he stood outside of it. And the Bible doesn't say that Jesus showed up and went, all right, everybody, uh, Lazarus was a great guy. Let's move on. Let's, Let's get past this. The Bible says that Jesus stood outside his tomb, people surrounding him, and he wept. He just wept over the loss of his friend. He gets it. Jesus, church, knows what it's like to stare death in the face. He knows what it's like to suffer. And for some of us this morning, we need to understand that these verses say that Jesus can sympathize and identify with everything we go through in life because he's been there, he's walked in our shoes, he's faced what he faced. And here's the greatest part of it all. Um, Unlike any of us, he walked through it all and he never sinned. He never responded wrongly. He never accused God. He never sinned in those times. So we have to know this morning that when we go to God in times of hardship, we're not showing up to talk to a God who um, says back to us in spite of how tough life may be, wow, that really stinks. I know it's got to be hard. I'll pray for you. Can't really sympathize. I don't know how that feels. No, instead we go to a God who we talk to life about suffering, about tragedy, about And God comes back and he goes, I I get it. I get it. I know what that feels like. I've been in that same situation. I've walked in your shoes. I've felt that pain. I get it. I get it. 
And the Bible says when we come to God with that kind of knowledge and that kind of confidence and we draw near to Him, that God will give us all the grace and all the mercy that we need to carry us through whatever we're facing. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You need to believe it. You need to come to Jesus. Here's how I want to close. Uh, I just want to tell you, in light of this topic of suffering, what I personally am so looking forward to. Here it is. I'm just looking forward to the time where we don't have to talk about it anymore. When this conversation is finally over. Man, I love that this book teaches that for those of us that know Jesus... We placed faith in Him as the sinless, perfect Son of God who came into the world to pay for our sins, rise from the dead, to give us eternal life. The Bible says, those of us who know Him, that there's coming a day where we're going to live in a world with Him for all of eternity that was like the world that God created this one to be in the beginning. It's sinless. It's perfect. The consequences of sin are gone. Sin has been defeated once and for all. And those of us who know him, we get to live in that experience, that no suffering, no death, no pain, no bad news, no, nobody killing, nobody stealing, nothing going on because sin is gone and suffering is gone. I love how Paul says it in Romans 8.18. He says, what we suffer through in this world, he said, we can't even compare to what waits on us. I mean, if we held them up side by side, it'd be like, man, really, I... Going through this, look how amazing that is. I'll persevere here so I can get there because this doesn't even compare to this, is what Paul's saying. This is so good. And church, I want to call us to that this morning. I want to say no matter what you're going through, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the cross. Know that we serve a God who knows what it's like to suffer. A God who loves you deeply, cares about you deeply, wants to give you anything and everything you need to carry you through whatever you're facing. And we serve a God who has promised to one day free us once and for all from suffering and sin and death and to give us eternal life. Church, that is good news. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that day. I'm ready. Here's the invitation to you this morning. I just want to invite you, no matter who you are, where you are, come to Jesus today. If you're here and you don't know him, come and know him. Listen, man, life is short. It's a vapor. The Bible says it's a mist. It's here and it's gone. Don't waste your life on stuff that doesn't matter, on a world that doesn't matter, on a world full of stuff that one day will be gone and dead. Don't waste your life when it comes to him. Come to him. He came after us, pursued us so that you could come and have faith and trust in Him and have a relationship with God. Come to Jesus today if you don't know Him. In a few minutes, we're going to do baptism. Um, we got several people getting baptized at the end of this service. Baptism, um, this is not an act that saves us. This saves us. Jesus saves us. Baptism shows the church that we've been saved. It's an illustration of that. It's our public way of identifying ourselves with Jesus in front of people, and we do it according to the Bible out of love for Jesus and obedience to Him. If you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to come today and be baptized. And if you go, well, James, I didn't bring anything. What about clothes? And we're a church. We thought about that. All right, we took care of you. We got clothes back there for you, shorts and T-shirts and undergarments and everything you need to come get baptized today. We had a kid in the last service, um, Chinese kid came as a foreign exchange student 
two weeks ago, gave his life to Jesus, and this morning stepped out of his seat and came and got baptized. Amazing. And I say that to those of you who are trying to talk yourself out of coming and getting baptized this morning. What excuse do you have? Come. If you've never done that, if you, if you need to know Jesus today and come and get baptized, come and do it. If you're facing hardship today, come to Jesus. I love to know that I worship and serve a God who says, man, if you're hurting, if you're struggling, come to me. Come to me. I'll, I'll give you rest. I love you so much that you can come and you can just throw your burdens on me. Just come to me. This morning, come to him. We have communion out. If you want to come and celebrate and remember Jesus by taking communion, Matt's going to lead us in a song. I want to invite you to come and just celebrate and worship Jesus today. So I'm going to pray for us. And after I do that, we're just going to send you off just to come to Jesus, respond to him in whatever way God's leading you. So will you join me in prayer? God, you are so good to us. God, I pray that you free some of us this morning from unbelief, that you free some of us this morning from religion, that you free some of us this morning from doubt, from insecurity, from shame. Free some of us this morning, God, who are struggling and who are looking at ourselves and just beating ourselves down. Free us from that with the hope of Jesus. I pray for those in here, God, that are suffering, going through hardship, facing tough times. God, draw near to them right now. God, overwhelm them with your love. Father, I pray for those that need to come into a relationship with you this morning. God, would you move on their hearts right now? Just speak to them. Make them aware of their need for Jesus right now in this place. And I pray that you give them the courage, God, just to confess you as Lord and as Savior and to place faith in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you need to do that, if you don't know Jesus, again, the Bible says it's very easy. You repent and you believe. You choose Jesus over sin and you confess that He is Lord, He is Savior, that He died in your place for your sin, rose from the grave to bring you eternal life. You believe that Jesus is better than anything else you could give your life to and you come after Him. So this morning, if you want to do that again, you can simply in your seat just pray and confess that. This morning, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. You died in my place for my sin. You took my punishment. I'm asking you to save me. I believe you're alive. I'm asking you to give me eternal life. I want to leave my sin behind, and I want to come after you. I want to live a life that honors you, reflects you. I want to know one day after this life is over, God, that I'm going to spend eternity with you. made that decision this morning, I just want to invite you again, like I said, come be baptized in a minute. Let the church know that you did that. Father, would you move on hearts during this time? Speak to us, change us. Send us out of this place different. We love you. We pray this in your name. I want to invite you to stand. For those of you that are getting baptized, uh, as the band leads us in a song, I want you to just move to the back. They're waiting on you back there. If you want to be baptized, you didn't plan on it, but you want to be now, Go back to the back right in front of the restroom. Some of our pastors are waiting on you back there. They have clothes for you, and we'll get started with that in just a couple of minutes. Let's worship Jesus today.